Just a reminder, our podcast deals with crimes that are often violent and graphic in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So when in doubt, leave the kids out. Now, please let us take you back in time. Hey friends, I'm Shannon, the other half of Old Time Crime Gals. I'm here with Melissa. That's me. Thanks for joining us. Today, we are kicking off our podcast with a story from our neck of the woods. And in case you can't tell, our neck of the woods is the southeastern United States, judging by our accents. And this is the story of the Carroll County Courthouse tragedy, one of my favorites from our area. So let's get into how 57 bullets were shot in 90 seconds, and it all started because of a kiss. So we're going to go back to the early 1900s in a rural town of Hillsville, Virginia. This is a small town that has less than 500 people. It's kind of one of those everybody knows everybody else and you can't keep things to yourself because they just have nothing else to do but being in everybody's business. Yes, and I know plenty of places like that. So one of the major players is a man by the name of Floyd Allen. Now, this is a tough guy. So he's described as being very generous, but also quick-tempered, violent, and just did not put up with anything he disagreed with. A good quote that I saw that summed him up pretty well was, he's either your best friend or your worst enemy. So I have a feeling there was no in-between. He was very extreme. Either he loved you or he hated you. And I bet a lot of people around town really feared him. Yes. So he was the man of the town. Like He was a patriarch of the Allen family. They were one of the wealthiest families in the county. He had his hand in multiple businesses. He was a landowner, um, even sometimes would assist with arrest and filled in as deputies from time to time. But just to give you an idea of how brazen he was and just, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. Him and his brothers, Garland and Sidna, were out and about and they had concealed weapons and they just randomly assaulted 13 men. And because the connections in the city, they charges were dropped, but the brothers pleaded no contest and each were fined $5 plus court fees. $5? That sounds like the good old boy system. Yeah, definitely. So I guess you would say this family would not be considered squeaky clean. No, no, not by any means at all. Floyd himself had survived being shot at least 15 times. And five of those had come from fights with members of his own family. Oh, wow. So, like, you know, Christmas was super fun. I bet. Now, he beat his brother so bad, so severely, that he had to have a metal plate in his head. Wow, that would be tough. And, you know, then they hugged it out, I guess. Because uh, they're either, you know, friendly or about to kill each other. So, no, not squeaky clean at all. Got it. So we have to kind of think about how things were back in the 1900s. You had horses that people still rode to get to places as their transportation. You were, we were close to the mountains. We were more at the foothills of the mountains where this story is um, from. And so you had people that had to, in, in daily life, they had to make their own essentials. They had to um, make their own clothes, sometimes spin their own wool. There was even an element of illegal, illegal um, things happening where there were moonshiners, where they had distilleries. Um, 
the government wasn't as big as it is as we know it today as far as far reaching. So a lot of times they would take the law into their own hands. And it sounds like this may have been something that the Allen family did on their own if they felt that they were wronged. So it sounds more like an emotional trigger whenever they would get into all those fights with uh, the people you were mentioning earlier. So, I mean, they had to essentially fend for themselves and they figured out a way to make money and be good at it. And even though that involved illegal activity, it put them in a um, sense of power within their small government. So they were the, the good old boys. They were the run of the town at that time. And so the bigger dog was able to lead the pack and kind of bully people in a way. Yeah. Um, so I guess everyone's out there wondering where does the kiss come in? And we're getting to that part of the culture and what they did on their spare time and how they got together and the young people of that day. Um, Cause young people, they always want to have fun. It doesn't matter what century you're living in. So um, would you like to tell us about that, Melissa? Sure. So now we're in December of 1910 and this is where the said KISS event takes place. So they're at a corn shucking bee. So you have everyone in the town that fends for themselves. And it's harvest time. They got to bring in this corn. And basically they have like this huge block party. So there's probably food. There's probably, you know, that illegal moonshine activity going on. Mm. The kids are having fun. They're in groups and they're doing their thing. And they're also, you know, working like a bee. And they're shucking their corn. Now for those out there who don't know what corn shucking is... Your corn that you get at a grocery store actually has a husk on it, and you have to shuck it. Ask your parents about that, or better yet, Google it. I was always afraid to do that because I like at my grandma's house, and we would do that. I would snap the peas, do everything else, but the corn, because when you tear the leaves off of it, and it's the sometimes there's worms inside. Yeah, and I was not cool with that. I was like, no, 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 no. I'll do anything else you want me to do, but I do not want to shuck the corn. Yeah. So I can cool. only imagine. I don't know if it was something that just the boys did and the girls did something else, because there's a tradition that if you are shucking corn and you get a red ear of corn, then it's very lucky. It's rare. You celebrate, and it means that you get to go kiss a girl that you want to that you, you know want to hang out with. Ah. So this is where this kiss comes into play. How about the girl? Does she... See, I don't know. I don't know if girls uh, shook the corn, if they got the red ear, if they got to walk up to the boy they liked. We, I don't know if it was exclusive or how that worked. But what we do know is that Wesley Edwards, who was uh, Floyd Allen's nephew, he's 20 and he's shucking that corn and he gets the red ear. Okay. So he picks out this girl. Her last name is... McGraw? Yep. That's, McGraw. I didn't find anything else about her. She's not even in the story at all, except for this one tiny, tiny little bit. Okay. Um, you know, he did his thing. He kissed her, but don't know if she liked it or not, but her boyfriend didn't. Ah, who was her boyfriend? His name was William Thomas. And apparently his father, or they had some feuds with the Allens, probably about, you know, the pool they had in the city, stuff that was going on behind the scenes. So we don't know if he did it because he actually liked this girl or if he just wanted to start a fight. Gotcha. gotcha. So that is the kiss that it just, it snowballed you know, all down the mountain from there. Ah. So now that the kiss went down and the party was over and you had her boyfriend, Will, who was very not happy with it. You know, it's the next morning. It's time to go to church. Going to church after a Saturday night of sin. Woo tell you sounds like a country song <laughs> definitely a country song i think more than one country song <laughs> it's the basis for all country songs i think you're right 
Definitely. Well, in church, um, you know, it was led by Garland. Oh. Floyd's brother was given the sermon that day. Wow. Okay. So, you know, Will, being angry that um, Wesley has kissed his girl, um, challenged him to a fight outside. Oh, wow. And so it was him and three of his friends that jumped Wesley. And Wesley's older brother, Sidna, um, jumped to his rescue. And so it was this big brawl outside the church. And they got in trouble. So they actually were charged with disorderly conduct, disrupting a worship service, assault with deadly weapons. Um, it was seven counts in total. Oh, wow. And Wesley's story was self-defense. He's like, hey, him and his buddies, they're mad at me. They jumped me. We're just trying to defend ourselves. So it was um, definitely an altercation. And because they didn't want to go to jail, they asked good old Uncle Floyd, what would he do? And oh. he said, run away to Mount Airy. So oh, they, wow. they okay. jumped ship and, well, not jumped ship, but they Hopped on horses and rode down the trail to Mount Airy, and they hit out um, in North Carolina and got jobs and just kind of laid low for a while and hoped everything would blow over, but obviously it didn't. It got worse. So, you're telling me there's already been an altercation at the church on Sunday, disrupted worship service, and now these guys have fled by the information that their uncle gave them to leave and go to North Carolina, which is Mount Airy. So we started out in Hillsville, Virginia, and now we are in North Carolina across state lines. So how would they go about getting criminals back in that time period back to their own County to be tried? I imagine there wasn't much um, cooperation between agencies because of the lack of information that traveled um, but Dexter Goad, he is the deputy clerk of Carroll County. He issued a new warrant uh, for their arrest, and he sent it to Surrey County Sheriff Cape Haynes, who is based out in Mount Airy in North Carolina. So he was the one who actually obtained custody of the boys. But he went in. He knew they where they were. Their cover was blown. He knew he was going to pick up two boys, and he brings one pair of handcuffs. One pair of handcuffs. Again, I don't know if it's just because they just wanted to get at the Allens, but Wesley, he had to be tied up with rope. Okay, wow. All so right. Sidna had the handcuffs, and Wesley got the rope into the deal. Okay. And then, so now they have them in North Carolina, and they have to bring them, that's the extra drive, and bring them back to Virginia. So they put them in a wagon, you know, they hitch the horses up, and they get some guards, and they drive to the state line. And then they were met at the state line with two more armed guards from Virginia to transfer the boys over and then to bring them back to Carroll County. Okay. So I'm picturing 1900s that the roads were probably, you know, they're dirt. Um, they're probably not very large. They go through, this was in the foothills of the mountains. So woods, um, you know, you got all kinds of weather so anyway, I'm picturing just a narrow way to get back to Carroll County. You've got one in handcuffs and one with ropes. Well, there was actually only two roads back to Carroll County. Okay. Um, so definitely not just, you know, hop in your car and drive down the freeway. This was, you know, rugged country, um, like horse and buggy. There was actually, so they took Canna Road. So C-A-N-A, Canna Road, which is now U.S. 52. Okay. Um, but that's. What they took, and unfortunately, guess whose house they had to drive by? Hmm, was it a family member of theirs? It was two family members. Two family members. So the road actually passed right in front of Floyd Allen's house. 
Wow. And Sydney Allen. Okay. And Floyd was actually on his way home and happened to run into them on the road. Oh, On wow. the little dirt path. Okay. Um, so being the extreme love you, hate you person that he is, he was not happy to see his nephews um, tied up with rope, with gotcha. handcuffs, just trucking along in custody of these um, deputies. And there were several different stories on how this went down, but basically he demanded that they be released. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure he had a gun on them. Yes. I'm sure it was pulled. Um, one article actually said that he hit them on the head with it, you know, as you would expect him to do. And he really got the boys released. At first, he demanded, like, hey, they're going to be in court on Monday. Just let them come home with me. They don't need to be tied up with rope. But they've already ran away once. Right. And, of course, the deputy was, no, you're not going to have them. And uh, he ended up taking them anyway. Okay. Um, but they did make it to court that Monday morning, so he made sure they were there. But then... How law-abiding of him. Yeah. Just give them to me. I'll make sure they're there. Yeah, not, no worries. beat you up and take them from you. Yes. And that <laughs> is how Floyd got in trouble. So now it turned from just being about the boys to we're going to go after you. Okay. Because he decided to pistol whip the deputies that had his nephews in custody. So don't you think that maybe he really kind of knew they were coming back from North Carolina because he was very well known in the area and probably could get information easily. He probably knew. If he was corrupt. He knew. I would think, even though we didn't find that in Uh any of the research. Oh, how how funny to just run into you at this exact time that you're coming by my house. So it was conveniently, I think, a setup, of course. Um, but regardless, so he was successful. He freed his nephews, and but they still went to court. And so that starts a whole nother part of the story. So now the boys have been captured, and they've been, you know, they went to court, and they had their sentencing. So Wesley got 60 days, and... Sid and I got 30, but those were both spent outside of jail in like a work release program. Oh, wow. So all that fighting and running and hiding, and they still didn't even end up in jail. Oh, wow. And that's what they were afraid of. I think um, at the time it was more, now we have a reason to go after Floyd. So it didn't matter about the boys because it never really was about them to begin with. Right. So William Foster is a Commonwealth attorney, which is kind of like a DA. Um, Virginia does things a little bit differently. He was a political enemy of the Allens. So he persuaded a grand jury to investigate the incident and he was required to testify. And so Floyd admitted like, hey, yeah, I roughed him up. You know, that's what I did. But, you know, he was mistreating these these boys and I never demanded for them to be released, which we probably know he wanted to take them home. Um, So he was indicted and now he goes to trial. Okay. And now it's when it, it gets really interesting. It sounds like they were really working hard to try to get Floyd Allen for something. And at the time, it's just, it was building and building. We've talked about the backstory, and now it's just all going to come out at this trial. So now we're in March of 1912. So it, the trial kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And then finally, they settled. I think they started on the 12th, but we're going for the 13th. So they're on trial. And the jury, for some reason, couldn't come up with a verdict that day. I don't know if they 
feared the outcome. Mm. Um, things were ominous going to the trial date. There were rumors that the Allens had threatened the judge and that if that was going to be a conviction, then something was going to happen. So they were kind of, I think, afraid to deliver that verdict the very first day. I can't imagine being on a jury knowing this is the most feared man in your town mm-hmm. or your county. So they actually ended up being sequestered in um, a hotel next door, Thornton's Hotel. And Floyd got to go to his brother's house and spend the night, this last night as you know, possibly a oh, free wow. man. Okay. And his brother had just built this beautiful house in Fancy Gap. And is actually, it's on the historical register. You can visit it, but right now it's closed for renovations and everything. Um, but that's in Carroll County. And he paid $13,000 for this house. Oh, wow. Which today is like $360,000. But it is very beautiful. And we'll have the picture up on our Facebook page. So then the 14th. So they're back in court. And you have Judge Thornton Massey. And he's proceeding the trial. He's also the judge, if you remember, who appointed Floyd as a police officer. Okay. As a deputy. Yes. So now he's kind of switching gears and now he's in charge of this this trial okay so the morning of march 14th 1912 it's cold it's rainy it's gloomy it's perfect for the situation that's about to go down and god was setting the scene it was just a very dreary awful day can you imagine the people felt dread having to go into the courtroom for something like this well it's on a day um, like that yeah absolutely So despite the weather and the gloomy atmosphere and the feelings that everyone had, that was a place to be. So everyone in town probably showed up. So this was a tiny room and it was packed because that's what you did. They wanted to see what was happening. And several things were going on. So you have the judge who had received threatening letters, verbal warnings, you know, that he was a dead man if Floyd was convicted. And it was suggested to him on multiple occasions that, you know, maybe you should not have firearms in the courthouse. And he didn't back down. He's like, no, because that just makes us look bad. So virtually everyone in attendance had a firearm of some sort. Wow. And you think, too, on a day like that, if they're going to go out to court, then, hey, why not bring my gun with me so that, you know, see what happens? Well, even Foster, who was against the Floyds, he is on record reported saying it's his last day on earth as he's going into the courthouse. Wow. And then Sheriff Webb, for some reason, never carried a gun at all, but he had stopped by his cousin's house that morning and borrowed a Colt special that was unfamiliar to him. And, you know, with guns, you have to be familiar with them to know how to work them. So that possibly could have led to a reason why. You know, that happened with him. So he had a brand new gun he had never used before. So everyone there, just small, crowded courtroom, full of firearms and just hot tempered. And you can just imagine. mm, It makes me tense thinking about it. I I wouldn't want to be anywhere near that building. I would be the one in town. and be like, I'm staying home today. I'll just hear it, you know, down the street. If you let me know, let me know what the news is. So. Now, you have jury foreman. His name's Augustus Fowler. So he delivers the verdict to Judge Massey. Okay. So through paper envelope, Massey's getting ready to read it. And, of course, Floyd was found guilty. So his sentence was $1,000 fine and one year of imprisonment. Which doesn't really sound that bad. No, I would think not. But he 
did not want to go to jail. So he is rumored to have stood up, messed, adjusted his you know shirt buttons, and said, I'm not going. And then it Everything. broke loose. So that's where we have, in 90 seconds, 57 bullets wow. unleashed. Nobody knows who was shooting who. It was just a Old West shootout. Chaos. I, I, that sounds extremely short time to me but 90 seconds is a long time yeah if you think about it and you're really going through something as big as that i think time slows down sometimes and then depending on if everybody had a gun and everybody shot around the same time i could see how you'd have that many bullets and that many you know about amount of time and, and it's not an exaggeration they recovered that many so they know there was 57 bullets that were wow. shot two of the holes are still in the courthouse steps that you can actually go see today uh, which is just crazy. People were jumping out of windows. People were fist fighting on the lawn. People were throwing up and getting sick. You had people who were shot and didn't realize it because they were in shock. It's just, I, I can't imagine that. Mm. Wow. So, I mean, bullets were just flying in every direction. So out of once everything settled, the dust settled, all this chaos, you have five people who were pronounced dead. So you have William Foster, Judge Thornton Massey, Sheriff Wood, Sheriff Webb, sorry, and Augustus Fowler. And then there was an 18-year-old witness named Elizabeth Ayers who um, was there to testify. So those five people were pronounced dead. And during all this chaos, you have Dexter Goad, and he's considered a hero. So this man gets shot in the face. So in the, in the face and out through his neck, and I think it said it popped off a collar button or something. But he managed to make it outside and fire off two shots, and he wounds both Floyd and Sidna. So Floyd, he shot him in the pelvis area, so he couldn't just hop on a horse and ride away. He was hurt too bad. Oh, that was pretty smart. So his son, Victor, had to shoot him into, like, the nearest hotel to hide out and kind of hope that, you know, no one was looking for him. And Sidna, he was injured, but he was able to get away. And so then <laughs> he's shot in the face shoots the shoots the bad guys and then he runs outside and gets to the only phone line out of the county wow one phone one Ooh. phone line out of the county and so then he sends a telegram to governor william hodges in richmond and it says quote send troops to the county of carroll at once mob violence court commonwealth's attorney sheriff some jurors and others shot on the conviction of Floyd Allen for a felony. Sheriff and Commonwealth's attorneys dead. Court serious. Look after this now. Wow. So we have a big massacre at the courthouse. Five people killed, many injured. The town was just shaken. Um, and so Dexter Goad, of course, we left off where he went and found the only phone line in town to call for help. But in the meantime, one of the ones that was killed was the sheriff. Mm -hmm. And so in that day, they had a law that said if the sheriff dies, his deputies no longer have any authority. So they basically cannot arrest. They can't do anything um, that has to do with carrying out the law or law enforcement. And because it took so long for people to get, you're looking at 24 hours of complete yeah. You do whatever you want to. No one can get you in trouble. I mean, I imagine all the 
the honest folks are hiding in their house. Mm -hmm. uh, most of them were scared to death. The Adelines were just going to come back and just take everybody out because they had just, that was it. And it's just that very scary time. Very. That's right. And so, of course, the um, governor had got the message in Richmond. And so then it was just this massive manhunt for everyone that was involved. And Floyd, the one of the main ones, obviously, remember, he got shot. Right. Where he couldn't run away. Mm -hmm. So he was next door. He had to hobble over to the hotel. And I guess with all the chaos, it was pretty simple for him to just get over to the hotel. Mm -hmm. And um, And so... They found him very quickly, you know, because he didn't go far. Right. So when they tried to find, when they found him, um, he knew that they were coming and he didn't want to be captured. So he attempted to slash his own throat yeah. before getting captured with his pocket knife. Um, but they got there and found him before that he had a chance to kill himself. Yep. They stopped that because that wasn't good enough after killing everybody else. They wanted to make sure he actually got captured. That's right. Um, of course the rest of them were, you know, out and about. So the national guard was brought in. Um, there was bounties on their heads. It was, um, you know, reward dead or alive. Um, you've got all these men in the town who probably were afraid of them at, at one point now struggling to become deputies, wanting to go join the fight so that they could get their piece of the islands. So you have, just massive amounts of people looking for these guys. A uh, train came in and carried 20 detectives from surrounding areas. It was just a manhunt. These these men had to crawl over ditches in the mud, you know, areas that their horses couldn't go through, spend nights outside. It was just, it took like six months to round up everybody. Oh, wow. And um, two of them, Sidna and his, uh, they actually made it all the way to Iowa had changed their name and were having jobs and kind of doing their own thing until they came back to visit his girlfriend. Wow. And she kind of sold him out, I think. Oh, okay. And so eventually everyone did get rounded up. Wasn't it in the news the next day? Um, the day after it actually made it into the New York times. Oh, wow. Which being from Virginia, mm -hmm. the foothills and the mountains of Virginia into a paper all the way in New York city at the time was pretty impressive considering there was no social media, you couldn't look it up and see what was happening, you know, real time or. And those cell phones. Yeah. So word of mouth was definitely that. And um, that one phone line, can you imagine one phone no. line? All the teenagers in the town would just be so mad. <laughs> so this was a big event in America had um, really taken America. All the people were very curious about it all over the United States um, and really, it was just such a big story at the time that it was going to need something else to trumpet, basically, and to um, get people's minds off of this courthouse um, massacre. And the, the thing that happened was the Titanic mm -hmm. of 1912. Um, and, and once that happened, you, you didn't hear about this anymore. No. People stopped talking about it. That's right. And, you know, that happens a lot today where we hear something for days about something and then something else big happens. Um, but I think these are two big events in early American history. And I thought that that was very interesting that um, having this shootout was just everyone was so interested in it from different states. Even like we said earlier, the New York Times um, and then the Titanic happened. I had so. never heard of it until you brought it to my attention. Yeah. I mean, Titanic, obviously, you study that in school, but, the, you know, in history, and the, this had never, had, I'm a true crime fan, and 
listened to many podcasts and many stories, and I had never heard of it before you brought it up. So um, that's why we're doing it. So that's you can right. you can learn about it. But at the time, so now that we have everyone captured that was involved, um, and you got to think about 1912. So forensic science, um, they're actually it was good enough back then that they were able to determine by the the markings on the bullets and barrels which bullet came from where, mm-hmm. and that they were accurate with that. Um, and they did collect 57 bullets, even the ones that were found in the bodies. Wow. But, of course, now we know per police procedure is common to do an autopsy. Mm-hmm. All of the people that got shot in the courthouse massacre didn't have an autopsy. Okay. So the prosecution was basically, Dallin's did it, we're going after you. And it's it's still debated today. You're Over 100 years later, people in the town still aren't quite sure who fired that first shot. Um, so it's very interesting to get different people's takes on that. Um, obviously, you know, the powers at play didn't want to know whose bullet came from where because it could have been their fault, too. So they just prosecuted the Allens. Okay. So Can you the, imagine if you're in one family, you have one story. And if you're in another family, you may have another story. Mm-hmm. And I know that they found some documents to help piece it together a little bit. But you still have where there's word of mouth again, where oh, the, yeah. the stories are passed down through history. So then they, you know, the trial didn't get pushed back. This was fast track. So this was very, very quickly they were put to trial for for their involvement in this. And, of course, Floyd and his son, Claude, they were tried and convicted for their particular involvement. And they were both sentenced to death. So Floyd, he was electrocuted on March 28, 1913 at around 120. And then about 11 or 12 minutes later, his son followed. Okay, wow. So that that ended that. So that, my friends, is the story of the Carroll County Courthouse. You know, it's upstage. We talked about the Titanic, so no one really heard about it. But it's obviously something that we need to keep in our history and not forget about. It's probably a lot of the reasons why you can't bring a gun in the courthouse anymore. And rightly so. That would be a dangerous situation. Thanks for joining us for our first podcast. Resources for this episode include the Roanoker.com, Carroll County Historical Society and Museum, Mount Airy News.com, the Roanoke Times, and Wikipedia. There is so much more to the story that couldn't fit in our episode, so we recommend checking them out for more information. Just a reminder, we're Melissa and Shannon. That's me. And we're the Old Time Crime Gals. Please join us on our Facebook group. Remember to like, subscribe, and rate wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you catch our new episodes weekly. And remember, do a crime, it'll catch up with you in time. And then we'll talk about it.